0: We want to welcome you here, and because this sermon is going to be a little bit different, we're going to be going back and forth a little bit. We thought we'd start it off a little bit differently, and so um, we're going to start off a little fun. We're going to start off with some trivia, and so we actually want you to respond out loud to this trivia. So we're going to start easy. Who can tell me the name of the first president of the United States of America? Okay. Everyone's
1: awake. That's good. Okay. What about the first book of the Bible? All right.
0: Okay. Pretty solid still. What about the name of the first person to walk on the moon? Okay. The older generation got that one quick. The younger (laughs) folks were stuttering a little bit. All right.
1: So this one's a little more difficult. How about the first team to ever win the Super Bowl? Whoa. Wow. 1967.
0: Wow. We thought that was going to be the hard one, but I guess not. Okay. And then finally, what is the first and the greatest commandment according to Jesus. (laughs) It got real mumbly real quick, right? Uh What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus said the second is like it, and that is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this morning we're actually going to be talking about this, the first, and together we call these the great commandment. And particularly, we're going to be focusing on the second half of it. And some of you are familiar with it. We've talked about it here at the church before, uh, where Jesus is tested by an expert in the law. And he's asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick him. And he reveals that the greatest commandments are these two combined together. And I don't know if you know this, but he was actually quoting the Old Testament law there. He was quoting Leviticus 19, where he said, love your neighbor as yourself, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And this is where Moses is sharing, he's, he's just shared the Ten Commandments on behalf of God to the Israelite people, and now he's giving them commands to generations of Israelites of how they're called to live. And he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And in this series that we've been in since January kicked off, First Things First, we've been talking about things that God wants us to put first in our lives, priorities, habits, practices. And when we look at all of the commandments in the Bible, what we find here is that Jesus wants to put these two commandments first, the great commandment. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing mainly on the second half of the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And earlier last year, we talked about our call to love all of our neighbors, and especially our neighbors next door. But this morning, we're going to bring it in a little bit closer, maybe a little more uncomfortable for us. A little too close. And we're going to be talking about the neighbors who are first in our lives, the neighbors who are first and closest to us relationally, and first and closest to us uh, geographically. The people who don't just live next door, but who oftentimes live in the bedrooms next door to ours. We're going to be talking about loving your family well, and setting a foundation for a strong family relationally and spiritually. And this is the case for a lot of people, but loving our family members is often sometimes the hardest group of people to love in our lives. And so this morning, Emily's with me, not because we're just trying to be novel or fun or because we're a family, we are a family, um, but also because she is a professional counselor here in the state of Georgia, and I thought that she could add a lot of wisdom and insight to this message as we're talking about families and thinking about how to build strong families and so emily why don't you not everybody knows you here some people do but why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you and your background and some of your experiences
1: sure so as jonathan said i'm a professional counselor Uh, which typically means that people come to see me when something has gone wrong. Mm. So a lot of my work, in particular, has been in working with children and teenagers and families who've experienced trauma Mm. of some kind. So a lot of my work consists of uh, sort of walking alongside families, helping them put some pieces back together after something has broken. Uh, Death in the family, divorce, abuse, Mm. neglect, you name it. And a lot of these families that I'm working with don't yet have the tools or resources Mm. to give their children all the love and attention and time that they can, and that's where I come in. Mm. So these families are sort of on one end of the spectrum. Yep, that's one end. But I also know a lot of families who are on the other end of the spectrum. And these parents have all the time and resources and love that they could possibly need, but they have so much worry and anxiety Mm. about whether they're doing the right things with those resources, Mm. whether they're loving enough, giving enough time and attention. And in these families, a lot of times, parents may put unrealistic expectations on their children, Um, kids are feeling the pressure to be perfect, Mm. siblings are constantly being compared to one another, and the grandparents just feel the need to step in and fix everything. Any right? grandparents
0: here like to fix their kids' families? <laughs> okay, a few of them. So, of them.
1: no, no one in here, I'm sure. So, no matter where your family is on this spectrum today, you're in a safe place. Hmm. I want you to know you're in a judgment-free zone hmm. because this stuff is really hard hmm. and none of us get it right all the time. Right. You know, I have a master's degree in this stuff, but that doesn't mean that Jonathan and I didn't fight while preparing this very message. Uh, just a little <laughs> bit, just <slow> <laughs> And so I do know some things about how to live sort of in this healthy zone in the middle, mm. not on either extreme end of that spectrum, but what counts when it comes to kind of living in a healthy and strong space as a family. Mm. And study after study has shown the same things That if you hit these sort of basic things that we're going to talk about today consistently, that is what counts. Mm. It's not about being a perfect family or striving for perfection or expecting perfection from others. But it's about leaning into loving your family and being present with the knowledge that we're all imperfect and that we're all going to mess it Mm. up sometimes.
0: Yeah. So she'd have some stuff to add to the message a lot more wise than I am. So this morning, whether you're a parent in a family, whether you're the child or you're a student or a grandparent, or you don't have any kids, we want to let you know that this message is for you, because when we're looking at how to build strong families spiritually and relationally, every single person here has a role to play. And so Emily, I'm going to fix your microphone real quick.: Very <laughs> professional.: go. There we go. And um, you work with a lot of families. You see people at their highs, at their lows. You see kids hugging and high-fiving in school, and you see them crying and hitting people. I mean, you've even had to call DFACS a few times, because that's part of your your job, is to take care of the kids. So when you're looking at the whole spectrum of families on both ends, what would you say is one of the first keys to building a strong family?
1: Mm. So as I mentioned, I see a lot of kids who have gone through some really difficult things, and a lot of times when kids have experienced something really hard, even something traumatic, uh, that comes with some really Mm. big feelings. And kids often don't have the skills yet to organize or make sense of those feelings, and so it may present as a behavior problem. Mm. And other kids just have a behavior problem. Mm. Um, So when I'm getting to know a family and I see you know, there's no trauma history, there's no sort of mental health diagnosis, but they're still, you know, not knowing how to handle their anger appropriately or hurting other people. I have to sort of wonder what sort of environment the child is in, hmm. and you know, for better or worse, kids are like sponges. Hmm. I mean, if you have kids, yeah. you know this. Um, they are primed to pick up on our behaviors and our moods. You know, just a couple weeks ago, I was playing with this little toy barn with one of my nephews. And I was asking, you know, what sound does the cow make? What sound does the horse make? Mm-hmm. And then when we got to the pig, instead of saying oink, like a responsible adult, I made that horrible noise.
0: Yep. She and taught him something new. new. She taught him something new.
1: And he proceeded to make that noise every 10 seconds for the yeah. rest of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I did. am still apologizing to <laughs> my brother and sister-in-law. Yeah. Uh, But he has since stopped snorting incessantly, which is good for two reasons. One, his parents can keep their sanity. Mm -hmm. And two, it really illustrates our first point and the key of building a strong family, and that's this. To consistently model what you care about. Consistently Mm. model what you care about. See, we all fall short. Inevitably, we will do something in front of a child that we will hate for them to emulate. Or we may mess up and set a bad example for one of our siblings or cousins or other people in our family. But who we are day in and day out counts far more Hmm. than any mistake that we might make. So my nephew, to my knowledge, is not still running around making that noise.
0: To our knowledge, he's not doing that. (laughs) But he doesn't live with us, so that's good.
1: Yeah, exactly. But he has parents that love him, he has caring adults in his life who are modeling things for him like empathy, Mm. compassion, and kindness. And that is the kind of kid Mm. that he's turning out to be. So if you want the kids or grandkids, nieces or nephews in your life to care about being compassionate, about taking care of their bodies, Mm. about using technology appropriately, being a good driver, All of these things are what we need to model ourselves as the adults. Mm. And again, it's not about perfection, but it's about modeling those things consistently.
0: Yeah, And that's huge because this principle doesn't just apply to building a strong family and relationships and character in your kids. It also applies to building a strong foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, Kendra Chrissy Dean, she's an author, and um, she wrote this book right here called Almost Christian, What the Faith of Our Teenagers is Telling the American Church. And um, in her book, she cites a great deal, the National Study for Youth and Religion. And this was a study that tracked families over a decade, kids, students, and their parents, as they grew up in the church and then left home and went on to college and to live on their own. And so they were tracking them to figure out the answer to this question a lot of us have is, hey, how do we help our kids retain their faith when they move past us, when they leave our house or kind of leave our nest? And here's what they found. They concluded, parents matter most when it comes to shaping the religious lives of their children. And this might be scary for you, (laughs) and this might be hopeful for you. I I don't know how you feel about it, but they said this, we get what we are. Mm. And so if, if you're active in the church and you're modeling a life of faith and a life of love, and you're serving other people on a regular basis... There's a high likelihood that your child is going to actually do the same and continue to do that later in life. But if, if your faith isn't a priority, it's just kind of something on the radar and you don't think about it much, you don't talk about it, you don't model it, well, it's likely your kid is going to reflect that as well. And they also concluded with this. The best way for youth to become more serious about religious faith is for their parents to become more serious about theirs. And reading this study, it reminded me of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. He says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, those are kind of scary words, right? But that's great wisdom for families because the reality is it's not as much about what you teach your kids or what you make them do or make them read. It's more about the life that you're modeling for them on a regular basis, day in and day out. And I'm a reflection of this. My parents who are here today, Beth and Jim, they're down front. um, Growing up, I remember my dad, he would pray in our dining room in the mornings. And I was a little kid, he would wake us up, I would be eating breakfast, my toaster strudel, or my honey bun. I love honey buns. Anyway, I love <laughs> honey buns. Um, I'd be eating those, and he would be in there praying. And you know what's interesting is we didn't really talk growing up about what he was praying about or his list, and he wasn't explaining it all. But I saw him modeling that, and it had a huge impact on me. And my mom, when I was growing up more of an adolescent, middle school, high school, she took Disciple Bible Study, which is a year-long, in-depth Bible study that has a workbook, and I remember seeing her sit at the kitchen table, taking notes, reading and studying, and that had an impact on me. But this principle about modeling what you care about and modeling faith, it's not just for parents and children, it also affects all the relationships we have in our family. Because these days, and this is kind of a newer trend, a lot of kids in our church don't attend with their parents. Actually, it's other people bringing them, grandparents, or it's friends of the family. Some of our students, they they drive themselves. Their families aren't part of Harvest Point Church. And a number of you, you're the only person in your family who attends church. And so this is important to remember that the best way for you to share your faith with your family members and other people you love is to consistently model love for Jesus and love for other people. And now, just so you know, this doesn't mean that automatically if you do these things, your kids are going to share faith in Jesus Christ. That's not the case. We see examples in our own lives and in the Bible where that doesn't happen. But it does mean this, that you're doing everything you can to help model faith for them. You're being faithful and you're consistently modeling it so that hopefully one day they'll receive that faith themselves. So if you're taking notes, that's the first key to building strong relationships and a strong spiritual foundation in your family. Consistently model what you care about. So Emily, what's another key?
1: Sure. So when I work with families, a word that comes up over and over again is this word overwhelmed, right? And I think a lot of people come to me... Who are overwhelmed by their child's emotional or behavioral problems, but Mm. that's just the beginning. Mm. You know, they may have other children in the house. They may have a spouse that they're trying to grow in relationship with. They've got their own work schedules. They may be taking care of parents. They have their own mental and physical health needs. And it's a lot. Mm. It can be really overwhelming. And you know, this may surprise some of y'all, but I'm an introvert. And when I get overwhelmed, my tendency is to withdraw. Mm. I'm like, you know what? I just need a break. Candy I need to Candy crush,
0: go. candy crush and Hulu. <laughs> I
1: need to go play on my phone. <laughs> I need to turn on the TV because the thought of interacting with people right now is just overwhelming to me. But something I've been thinking about in the last couple weeks is actually what you said a couple weeks ago, Jonathan, mm. uh, in your sermon on time. Because if every hour is an opportunity to honor God, there comes a time when that self-care and recharging gives way to selfishness. Mm. And so if I want to consistently model the things that I care about with the people that I love, the best way to do that is to spend intentional time together. Mm. So that's our second point. To spend intentional time together. And families today are pulled in a million different directions. Mm. You know, when I was growing up, I was fortunate enough to eat dinner with my family almost every night. But Mm -hmm. I talk to families today who are so overwhelmed by work schedules and Mm -hmm. their kids' extracurricular activities or even just the lure of the TV or the tablet that it's really hard for them to get to connect and spend that quality time together. Mm -hmm. But it is so important and crucial, especially for young children. Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a a psychologist at UCLA, has done some incredible research on brain development in children. And he notes that the prefrontal cortex, which is this sort of region right here, which is the part of the brain that organizes our communication, our decision-making skills, and even our moral judgments, Mm. is primarily developed as children by our interactions with adults. But that doesn't mean that by the time we hit middle school, we are fully formed moral beings, That's right? Good.
0: That's good. We knew that, right? <laughs> we knew that middle schoolers, you know, we still have a ways to go.
1: And so in adolescence, what happens is that part of the brain essentially gets reformed. Because hmm. children have taken in so much new information in those formative years that the brain has to make some important decisions about what is important. Hmm. So if things are, again, consistently making connections in their brain, that's what the brain holds on to and says is important. And it's those things in adolescence that help form our identity. Hmm. And you know, the frontal lobe of the brain is not fully developed until we're about 25. Hmm. So until that point, biologically, we need sort of the scaffolding of other mature adult brains around us to help us figure out who we are, our moral decisions, and to help us determine what kind of adults we're gonna be.
2: Hmm.
1: So, you know, we tend to live life at this breakneck pace, right? And it's so tempting to bring that into our relationships as Mm -hmm. well. So, you know, you come home, you try to spend a little time with your family, check, okay, I've done that, on Mm -hmm. to the next thing. But if we can risk being fully present with our families, without the distractions of checking our phone all the time or thinking about our to-do list, that is when the fruits of the Spirit, the things that we want to model consistently, can really be on full display.
2: Hmm.
1: And when we focus on the experience of another person, when we have empathy for them, that is when we can truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Hmm. And practically, in families, this means actively trying to understand the experiences, Hmm. the attitudes and perspectives of other people in our families, whether they look like ours or not. And so, even when you make mistakes, if you can own those mistakes and apologize, you can model what humility and reconciliation look like. Hmm. And so, no matter how old we are, no matter what your family relationships look like, I think we can all understand and recognize that feeling of being known and understood and Hmm. loved.
0: Yeah, that's a good feeling. Um, A few weeks ago, I'm not sure if it was two or three now, I talked about how spending intentional time with Jesus, even if we start small, doing that consistently, it adds up to big spiritual change over time. And the thing is, this is the same with our families. When we're investing in our relationships, when we're intentionally spending time together, over time, that creates lasting change in our relationships. Mm-hmm. And the first thing, like you said, is that it allows us to consistently model what we care about. But the second thing is, when we're spending time together, It helps open up space for conversations, conversations about life and what's going on, conversations about the big issues in the world and beliefs and worldviews and things like that. And spending intentional time together as a family and with different family members is going to look different at every single stage of life. I don't know if anybody here can finish this one. Let's see if you can do this one. Now I lay me down to sleep All right. Raise your hand if you learned that prayer growing up. Okay, a lot lot of y'all had had parents who were intentional about passing on how to pray, even as a child. And when your children are young, um, or even your grandchildren, if they're staying with you, this is a great way to spend time together and and to model a life of faith. It's to teach them about how to pray, what prayer is, to tuck them in at night. Um, One of my favorite Bibles, and it's a paraphrase of different stories, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this is great for kids of all ages. And I even, sometimes when I'm preparing for sermons, I'll read the story in here to get it from a different perspective. This is a great resource. And so spending time with children, reading the Bible, having those conversations is huge. But if you have a ninth grader and you go home tonight and say, hey, Pastor Jonathan said I need to tuck you in. I need to teach (laughs) you some prayers. And we need to read the Jesus Storybook Bible together. Don't do that. I don't think they're going to respond super well, right? They're going to be like, please, get out of my space. You didn't ask permission to get in my room, right? It's different. It's a different stage of life. And so you have to meet them where they are. And the thing with um, older students and people in adolescence is they probably already know what you think and what you (laughs) believe if they've been living with you for a while. And so the important thing is to try to meet them where they are and to spend intentional time with them, maybe in ways that, that they want to. And so, you know what, a lot, of, a lot of students these days, they're spending a lot of time on, say, YouTube. And so they're watching all these YouTube channels. Well, rather than lecturing them about spending so much time, what if you ask them, hey, what are you watching? You know, hey, why do you find that so interesting? What, what, what's intriguing to you about that? And to begin to learn and open up conversations from there. Or maybe they play Minecraft. Does anybody know what Minecraft is? Okay, so like, that's a game I don't get it. But if your kid loves Minecraft or another video game, why don't you sit down and say, hey, would you be willing to teach me like how to just get past the first level so I can see what's going on? You're meeting them on their territory. And what you're doing and what you want to do is to not talk to them, but instead to talk with them, to meet them where they are, find out what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're believing at this point in their Mm -hmm. life, and then move forward in conversations from there. And when faith comes up, It's a great bridge, and it doesn't feel like you're forcing the conversation on them, which we know they don't really like that typically. And so that's if you have an older kid. But a lot of us here, maybe you have a niece or a nephew or a grandkid. Like we talked about last week, another great way to spend intentional time together is by serving. Serving is something that um, millennials and younger love to do, and it's a great way to engage people. And like we talked about last week, when we're serving, we grow in our faith, And it helps bless and serve other people and help them grow in their faith as well. So that's another great option. And when you look at Jesus' entire life and how he spent time with his disciples, you see him modeling this principle with them of spending intentional time together and meeting each of them where they were. When we open up the New Testament and we read in the Gospels, we don't find Jesus giving them this manifesto and saying, hey, here's 17 keys to a better life And once you learn all of these, then you're good to go and you can come and follow me. Jesus doesn't give them a program. He doesn't give them a notebook and a workbook and say, hey, do this curriculum, and then you're good to go. What does he do? He says, come and follow me. He gives them an invitation. Come, let's do life together. And so they eat together. They travel together. They laugh together. They cry together. And it's during these moments and during their shared life together that space opens up for conversations and that the disciples had their lives radically transformed as they encountered the love of Jesus, and their faith grew, their hope grew, their love grew, and that's what we want for your family as well. And one of the key ways to make that happen is by spending intentional time together and looking for those opportunities and those openings to grow in faith. And I know it's easy to sit up here and to say, Hey, parents, consistently model what you care about spend intentional time together. It's easy to say those things, but we know that it's very hard to live those things out on a day-to-day basis because, as you said earlier, people are stretched thin. People, a lot of us are living, like we talked about a few weeks ago, with very little margin in our lives. And if that's you this morning and you feel like you're you're pressed to the edge relationally, spiritually, financially, with your resources, we want to let you know as a family this morning that that's okay. Mm. That's an okay place to be. Because here is the good news of the gospel. Well, the bad news is, and maybe it's bad news, I don't know, you can't do it on your own. And so if you keep trying to do it on your own, you're never going to get very far. But the good news is that since we can't do it on our own, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given himself to us. And we can only be the people he's called us to be as we receive his love, his power, and his presence in our lives. And as we receive that in our lives, Jesus calls us to connect with other people. He doesn't call us to do life as a little single family, individual unit. A lot of times we see our families that way. But Jesus actually wants us to connect with others in community. And that's the third key to building a strong family. Not just relationally, but also spiritually. Connecting with others in community. Because God wants us to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, he kind of talks about this and he says some radical things. Some things that shock the people of his day and can kind of be shocking for us today. Here's what he says. Well, here's what Matthew writes about Jesus. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And for a culture in which family was the foundation of everything. Here, Jesus redefines family, and he extends the idea of family. He says, actually, family is greater than blood and biology. Your family members are also people who do the will of my Father in heaven. And Paul, he picks up on this language as well. In his letters, he talks about the household of faith or the family of God. And so we see in the New Testament, Jesus expanding this idea of family. And it's important for us because that means that whether we have biological family here in this church or here in this world, that we all have a part to play in helping to build strong families because ultimately, we're all part of the family of God.
1: Yeah. And even secular institutions and government agencies recognize this on some Hmm. level. Part of my job is providing assessments for families for Medicaid and other CMOs. And one of some of the questions that they have us ask to gauge people's mental health are things like, who do you rely on for support?
2: Hmm.
1: What do you do that connects you to other people in community? Are you a part of a religious group or community? And it's sad, but I can't tell you how many parents say things like this. Well, I don't really trust other people, so we pretty much just Mm. stick to ourselves. Or, I've been burned by relationships in the past, so, you know, I've learned that I'm really the only person I can rely on. Mm. But what I can tell you is those families typically have a much longer road to recovery than the families who say things like, yes, my sister is really involved and loves my kids like they were her own. Or, yes... We go to church every Sunday, and my kid sings in the choir and is in Sunday school. Or, I don't know what I would do without my husband and my parents. You know, I'm stretched so thin that they can really step in and support me whenever I need it. Hmm. And for me, I've always had a great relationship with my own parents who raised me in the faith. But I don't think I would be who or where I am today. If it hadn't been for some other adults that mm. they let into my life yeah. some mentors and you know I still have teachers Sunday school teachers small group leaders choir directors coaches who I still have close relationships with today and my story is not unique researchers have uh, discovered this that young people with adult relationships in the church are much more likely to hold on to their faith hmm. and to keep attending church when they leave home. Yeah, And so even if we're doing everything right, caring for our families can be really overwhelming. Hmm. But at its best, the church, the body of Christ, is the best support system hmm. in the world. Yeah, And God has given us this family of God, the church, so that we don't have to do life on our own.
0: Yeah. And so this morning... Maybe this is exciting for you, but if you don't have kids in the church, guess what? If you don't have kids in your family, the kids of the church are your kids. If you're an empty nester and you're celebrating that you don't have any more kids in your house, guess what? God's calling you to stand in the gap for younger families and to help support them. If, if you don't have any family members who are living, maybe you're an older adult and, and you're struggling to live on your own, we as the church are called to help support you And love you. That's who we're supposed to be as the body of Christ. And like you were saying, a lot of times it's hard to open up and to ask for help. But God doesn't want us to do it on our own. We were created to connect with others in community and to be supportive of one another. And so this morning, we hope those three keys are helpful for you in building your family relationships and in building the the foundation of faith in your family as well. And so as we close this morning, we want to just offer one small way to help support you, and that's by supporting and blessing families through the gift of prayer this morning. And so as we close our time together, what we're going to do is we're going to lead you in some guided prayer. And so we're going to pray for different families and different types of families. And what we want to invite you to do is if you identify with the type of family or the situation that we name in our prayer, we want to invite you to simply just, just raise your hand um, if you're willing to do that and to risk that. Just raise your hand so that we can recognize you and have you in our hearts and our minds. And other people who are here, if you want to keep your eyes open during the prayer so that you can be praying specifically for other families in our midst, we invite you to do that as well because we are the family of God. And we're called to lift each other up in practical ways, in ways like prayer and beyond. And so this morning, as we seek to build strong families and to put God first, let's go before God in prayer and ask Him to help us do that. God, we thank You for the gift of family. We thank You for our sons, our daughters, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles and our nieces. And God, we also thank You that You have extended the boundaries. God, we thank you that everybody in this place is our family member, is part of the family of God. So God, we ask that you would remove uh, guilt and shame that a lot of us have been carrying from the ways we've raised our family. And God, instead that you would fill us with a spirit of love and a spirit of encouragement this morning. And so God, before you this morning, we wanna pray for some specific groups in our church. So God, this morning, we wanna pray for single parents. That you feel free to raise your hand. God, we pray that you would bring supporters around these parents and around these families. God, that you would provide encouragement, that you would provide mentors for their children, and that you would always remind them that you are with them.
1: God, we pray for people who long for children of their own or spouses or families of their own one day. God, we thank you for the gifts and the desires that you've given us to love people up close and to be in relationship with them. And Lord, as we wait for those dreams to be fulfilled, would you give them wisdom and direction and the knowledge of your abiding love?
0: God, this morning we also pray for empty nesters. God, we pray this morning that you would help them to love their adult children. And God, that you would uniquely strengthen and bless their marriages in this season. And God, with any free time that they might have, that you would help open up opportunities for them to love and serve other people's children.
1: God, we pray for the blended families in our congregation. God, would you empower them to show grace and love to every member of their family, no matter their connection or relationship.
0: And God, we pray for the grandparents here. God, we know there are many, and we know that they love their children. They love their grandchildren. We ask that you would help them model the love of Jesus Christ for those people in their lives. God, that you would give them encouragement. And God, that you would just fill them with hope, even as at times they watch their their kids and grandkids struggle. God, we ask that you would bless them this day.
1: Lord, we lift up the people in our midst and in our church who have lost family members. God, would you bring them comfort and peace today? Lord, I pray that you will strengthen their relationships with surviving family members. And God, that you would provide them with encouragement and peace and joy from members of the family of God.
0: And God, we also pray this morning for people who desire to encourage and support other families. God, we know that's the heart of many people in this church, and we pray that you would open up opportunities for them to have mentoring relationships with the next generation. God, opportunities for them to share your love and to share your grace.
1: God, we lift up all the people in our church who long for their family members to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you will open up opportunities for us to share your love with our family members who don't yet know you. God, would you open up opportunities for us through our words and our actions to share your love so that they might know the peace and the joy that we've found in you.
0: And God, finally this morning, we pray for families who desire to put you first in their lives this year. If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand. God, we know that the heart of so many families here is for you to be first, is for their family to be a reflection of the family of God, for their family to be a place of love, of grace, and of truth. And so God, as these families seek to follow you and to love you and to live like you, God, we pray that you would honor their seeking, that you would meet them where they are, God, and that you would transform their families in 2018. God, we are so grateful for your love and for your son, Jesus Christ, God, and for the family of God called Harvest Point. God, we believe that in this new year, you want to do something new in the relationships among us. God, you want us to help, you want to help us go deeper, to become more intimate with one another, and God, to be real and to support one another and to celebrate the great times and to be with one another in the difficult times, all the while bonded and connected by your Son, Jesus Christ. So God, we thank you, we praise you, and this morning we continue to worship you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.